Let's turn to our Bibles to Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 5. Now, I know it's not Romans chapter 9, and I know that we do Revelation on Wednesday nights, so no, I'm not confused about the day, nor am I confused about the passage. Um, it's just that this week I was uh, out all day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the next section of Romans chapter 6 is going to take a little bit of time for me to get my head around it, to be able to preach it with any great certainty. So uh, I prayed about it and uh, felt that we ought to wait another week to give me some time to get my head around it. So we're going to look at Revelation. Not that Revelation is any easier than the rest of the Bible, but uh, at least I knew where I was heading next in Revelation. So we're going to have a look in Revelation chapter 5 and verses 5 through 14 this morning. So uh, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have of coming together around the world. We do pray that, Lord, as we look into the book of Revelation today, that you would bless our hearts, encourage us, Father God, through your word, and we pray that we might leave this place singing your praise and rejoicing. Lord, give me wisdom, I pray, from on high, that I might have clarity of thought, that I might speak your word with uh, wisdom and that, Lord God, that uh, you would be lifted up and praised this day. God, now we pray as we study your word for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, we're given a vision of heaven. And uh, those have been coming along Wednesday night, or you've been watching online, Revelation chapter 4, the focus of Revelation chapter 4 is the vision of the throne. And here in Revelation chapter 5, the focus is shifted from the throne, even though we're still in heaven, to the seven-sealed scroll in the hand of God. That's verses 1 through 4. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open the, and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And the scroll could not be read, because it was rolled up and sealed like a Roman will with seven seals. And John could see there was writing on both sides of the scroll, which meant there was nothing to be added to this scroll. What was written was complete. It was final. And to look upon the scroll, one must have the right to open the scroll and possess it. But Revelation 5, 4 says, No man was found worthy to open the, and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And therefore we read in Revelation 5, 4 that John wept, for he realized that God's glorious plan of redemption for mankind could never be completed until the scroll was open. And one of the elders there in heaven rescues John from his grief, <coughs> Excuse me, showing him there was one who prevailed to open the scroll in verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book to loose the seven seals thereof. And this declaration leads to the great 
worship song of Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And this, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And then in verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Here in Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 14, we discover four compelling reasons why you and I should join in the worship of Jesus Christ right here and now, just as one day we will do in heaven. The first reason why we should worship the Lamb is because of who He is, verses 5 and 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Verses 5 and 6. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a Lamb, as a slain, having seven horns, Seven eyes, which are the spirit, seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Because of who he is, we should worship the Lord because of who he is. And the three unique titles given to the Lord here to describe his character in verses 5 and 6. First, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah there in verse 5. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the reference here is back to Genesis chapter 49. We're not going to take time to read it, but verses 8 through 10, where Jacob is prophetically get, given the scepter of Judah and made it the tribe of the kings. And the image here of the lion speaks of dignity, speaks of his sovereignty, speaks of his courage, speaks of his victory. He is the lion of Judah. He is from the royal line. He is of the royal household. He is the king of kings. He's also the root of David, according to verse 5. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. The phrase root of David here means he brought David or David's line into existence. That's the primary meaning of it. That because of him, because of the line of Judah, because of Jesus Christ, David's line exists. David's kingly line exists. Now as far as his human nature is concerned in Jesus Christ, his humanity is concerned, Jesus had his roots in David. Isaiah chapter 11 please. Isaiah chapter 11. And verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Look in verse 10 also. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, and it shall be uh, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. We find here that, humanly speaking, from his humanity, from Jesus Christ's incarnation, he is indeed of the root of Jesse. He, he has membership in the royal line. He is the descendant of King David. 
And if you read Matthew and you read Luke and you read the genealogies, we know that's the reality, that his ancestry takes us all the way back, humanly speaking, to King David. But as far as his deity is concerned, Jesus is the root. He is the beginning of the line of David. Look in Revelation 22, please. Revelation 22. In verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in, in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He said, I am the root and the offspring. So in his humanity, he's the offspring of David, but in his deity, he is the source of the dynasty of David. And this phrase, the root of David, speaks of our Lord's eternality. He is indeed the ancient of days. He is the beginning and the end. And John sees here as he looks these two wonderful imagery of Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. It speaks of his deity. And then John turns, and instead of seeing a lamb, what he, instead of seeing a lion, what he sees is a lamb. Look in verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb that has been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. As John looks now, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. Jesus Christ is called the lamb at least 28 times in the book of Revelation. For example, God's wrath is the wrath of the Lamb, according to Revelation 6, 16, where we read, And said to the mountains and rocks, fallen us, and hide as from the face of him that sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. The cleansing is by the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 7, 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, and he said unto me, These are... They which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The church is said to be the bride of the Lamb. Revelation 19 and verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and, the, and his wife hath made herself ready. And 21 and verse 9. Revelation 21 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues and talked with me saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And we could look at all the 28 references to uh, the Lamb in Revelation. You know, the theme of the Lamb is an important one throughout Scripture. For it presents to us the finished work of Jesus Christ for you and I, it speaks of the work of the Lamb of God, our Redeemer. And therefore, it's not insignificant that here in Revelation, we find at the throne, the imagery is that of the Lamb. Because it speaks of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. You know, the Old Testament question of Genesis 22 and verse 7, when Isaac and Abraham were walking up the mountain to sacrifice, the Old Testament question of where is the Lamb was answered by John the Baptist when he cried, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, in John 1.29. The Lamb that 
Isaac was inquiring about whether Abraham said, God himself shall provide a lamb, was answered in John 1.29 when God himself became the lamb to die upon the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. And the lamb is here is presented in Revelation in, in a way both sympathetic and powerful because he's a living Look what it says, he stood in the midst, in verse 6, and I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. He's standing. There in the midst, he's alive. He's a living being standing in the midst of the throne of God. But he still has the marks of the previous sacrifice upon him. Because it goes on to say, stood a lamb, as it had been slain. Has it been slain? The idea is here as, you, as we look at the throne, and this is an imagery that one day you and I are going to see as we look at the throne and we see the Lamb standing in the midst of the throne. The idea is that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is still fresh, still current before God. There is nothing stale about the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's not old news that's not something that happened 2,000 years ago and is insignificant today. It's as relevant today as it was the day of the sacrifice of the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago and will be as significant in glory. The lamb that was slain thousands of years later, it is still afresh as the day he died on the cross. Your know, salvation today is still for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. You know, no wonder the chorus of heaven sing, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You know, we worship Jesus Christ because of who he is. We worship him because he is the Lamb of God. He's our Savior. He's our Substitute. He died a sacrificial death upon the cross of Calvary as God's sacrificial lamb for you and for me. And he is indeed worthy of all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. He is worthy. There's a second reason why we worship him, not because, not only because uh, who he is, but where he is in verses 6 and 7. We've read verse 6, verse 7 says, And he came and took the book out of the right hand and sat upon the throne. You know, he's not in the manger. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. First and foremost, we see he is ascended and exalted in heaven. In the midst of the throne and the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. There he is standing in the midst of the throne. What an encouragement this is to suffering Christians. Christ has defeated every enemy. And now he is standing in the midst of the throne of glory, controlling the events from glory. He suffered on Calvary. He died. He shed his precious blood for you and I. But God turned his suffering into glory. There is the lamb in the midst of the throne as it had been slain. For all to see, he is enthroned in glory. Even though the marks of his sacrifice can still be seen, 
even though we can still see the nail prints in his hand and the scar on his side, even though that is still evidence, the lamb is not presented as an object of pity. Here in Revelation 5 and verse 6, he's not represented as an object of pity, but as one who is exalted in glory. One who is standing in the midst of the throne, speaking of his deity, speaking of his authority, speaking of his glory. Yes, he is a lamb that was slain, but that slaying is not something to be ridiculed. It's something to be glorified in. He also bears the marks of omnipotence and omniscience. It says in verse 6, which are uh, having seven horns, which speaks of his omnipotence, and seven eyes, which speaks of his omniscience. The horn speaks of his power. The eye speaks of his all-seeing character. What a glorious figure. The lamb that was slain in the midst of the throne. He is worthy of worship. But not only is your not only is he exalted in heaven, he's in the midst of the throne, as I said. The Lamb is the center of all that transpires in heaven. You know, some sentimental Christian poetry and Christian hymns dethrone the Savior. And they emphasize only his earthly life. You know, they glamorize the gentle carpenter or the humble teacher, but they fail to exalt the risen Lord. You know, we do not worship a babe in a manger. We do not worship a corpse or a cross or in a tomb. We worship a living, reigning Lamb of God who's in the midst of the throne, enthroned in glory. This Lamb who is worthy of praise. But you know, this Lamb is also worthy to take the scroll. Look in verse 7. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Remember the imagery of God was holding the scroll in his right hand. This scroll that was written on both sides and been sealed with seven seals, seven bits of string around it, sealing it up like a Roman will. And the seals had to be broken by the person to whom this document belonged. This is the document of the declaration of the final chapters of the revelation of God's redemption of mankind. And no one is found worthy in heaven or earth to open it until set forth the Lamb. And the Lamb is said to be worthy to be able to take the scroll and to open the seals thereof and to reveal the contents of Revelation, which is chapter 6 and following. In fact, chapter 6 starts out with that very phrase. It says, And I saw... When the Lamb opened one of the seals and heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. From chapter 6 onwards is the opening of the seals of this scroll that's in the right hand of Almighty God, this revelation of God's final chapters of redemption. And the Lamb steps forth with all the authority to open the scroll. For all to see. No created being was found worthy to take the scroll, but the lamb that was slain could take it. 
his rank, his character, his ability to take the scroll and open it has been permanently demonstrated by the fact that Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, paying for the redemption of mankind, was buried and rose again the third day, gloriously, victoriously, over sin and death in the grave. And because he is the victor, because he's enthroned in heaven, because he's in the midst of the throne, he is worthy to take this book, to open the scroll. And he's worthy of praise, worthy of worship, worthy of our service because of who he is and where he is. And thirdly, we worship him because of what he does. In verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors to the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood and of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You know, when the Lamb came and took the scroll, the response is immediate. The weeping ends and the rejoicing begins. Look at verse 8 again. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Every, every one of them having harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Immediately, the Lamb steps forth to take, to open the scrolls. Immediately, the weeping stops. And immediately, the worship begins. High-ranking angels and regime men join together to worship the Lamb. Notice that the praise and prayer are united here in verse 8. It says and God, uh, it says that uh, having every one of them harps, praise, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Prayer and praise united. The incense is a picture of prayer raising from the throne of God. Go back with me to Psalm 141, please. Psalm 141. And verse 2 says, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Prayer and praise go together. In the days of the Apostle John, Roman emperors were celebrated upon their arrival after victory, back into their uh, town, into their cities. They were celebrated upon their return with the Latin expression, vir dignus. It just translated, you are worthy. And here we find in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, following on from the four beasts, the four and twenty elders who fall down and worship the lamb and have 
worship and, and praise together. They come and they bow down before him. They sing a new song. And what they say is, worthy is the Lamb. They declare, thou art worthy. Emperors would return and they would declare, Vir Dignus, you are worthy. But now Jesus Christ triumphantly stands in the midst of the throne, the Lamb that was slain, and the elders, and the, uh, the 420 elders and the 24 uh, beasts cry out, so four beasts, 24 elders and four beasts, cry out, Thou art worthy. They worship the Lamb because He alone is worthy. You know, too many contemporary Christian songs are eye-centered and not Christ-centered. They emphasize the believer's experience and almost ignore the Lord of glory, but not here, not in heaven. Here the emphasis is on his work of redemption, verse 9 and 10. The song honors the price of redemption. Thou wast slain. The song honors the work of redemption. Thou hast redeemed us to God. The song honors the payment of redemption by his blood. The song honors the scope of redemption out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The song honors the length of redemption hath made us unto our God kings and priests. You know, believers are kings because of their royal birth and we will reign with him 1,000 years. And we are priests because we need no mediator between us and God because Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And finally, the song honors the result of redemption. We shall reign on earth. You know, when Jesus Christ comes to earth the second time, when he returns to the Mount of Olives at the end of the tribulation, he returns to the Mount of Olives and he stands there in victory, in that day you and I will reign with him. He will establish his kingdom and reign for a thousand years and we shall reign with him. Look in Revelation 20. Revelation 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon and that old serpent which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loose for a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God which had not worshipped the beast neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead lived not again till a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And such the second death had no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. We're going to reign with him a thousand years. What a marvelous hymn. Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us by God, uh, uh, unto God, 
by thy blood and of every kindred and tongue and nation has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign. What a glorious Savior. What a majestic Savior. What a glorious image of the Lamb that was slain for our salvation that one day we will reign with him a thousand years. How rich would our worship be if we remember these truths every time we sing praise to him. There's a fourth reason why we worship him, and that's because of what he has. Verse 11 to 14. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels about the throne of the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. What a glorious image. Chapter 4, chapter 5 of Revelation. Chapter 4, the scene around the throne with all the glorious uh, uh, gemstones and with the thunder and lightning and the rainbow and the angelic beings who are flying around and the song going out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The imagery of glory. And then we come to chapter 5 and we have the song of the saints and the song of the angels. And here in this closing burst of praise, all the angels and every creature in the universe join together to worship the Redeemer. One commentator said this, what a cascade of harmony John heard. What a cascade of harmony John heard. And I beheld and I heard a voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. The many angels, the beasts, the elders, the number of which is an innumerable company of saints and singers. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about being there that day. It's going to be pretty good, isn't it? I mean, what an imagery. I, I, I don't think you and I can, I don't think John could begin to describe what he saw. I don't think you and I can begin to imagine what we will see. See, we're not going to be just sitting around playing our harps all eternity. There is much to observe. There's much to do. And not the least to sing praise to the Lamb. We're going to join this cacophony of song, beloved. We're going to be there singing his praise. And in this hymn, they state those things that Jesus Christ deserved to receive because of his sacrificial death upon the cross. Look in verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. You know, when Jesus Christ was on this earth, 
people did not ascribe these things to him. He was born in weakness. He died in weakness. But in that day, and even today, he's the recipient of all power. He became the poorest of the poor when he left heaven's glory and became a man. Yet he owns all the riches of heaven and earth. Men laughed at him and called him a fool. Yet he is the very wisdom of God. He shared in the sinless weaknesses of humanity as he hungered and thirsted and became weary. And now today in glory he possesses all strength. On earth he experienced humiliation and shame as sinners ridiculed him and reviled him. They laughed at his kingship. They attired him with a mock robe and a mock crown and a mock scepter. But now all that has changed because now he has received power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing because he deserves it. He is the lamb that was slain and he's worthy to receive all these things. The worship service climaxes with all the universe praising the Lamb of God and the Father seated on the throne, verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and power be to him that sitteth on upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. John couldn't be more completed his description of who's involved in this worship. Every creature, every one will be involved in this worship of the Lamb and of the Father seated upon the throne. This combined worship of the Father and the Lamb in Revelation 5.13 is a strong testimony to the deity of Jesus Christ. Because notice what it says, and every creature which is on the he in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power unto him that sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. Morris makes this comment. There cannot be the slightest doubt that the Lamb is to be reckoned with God and as God here in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13. Now in this worship, there's even a loud amen. Notice it says in verse 14, and the four beasts said, Amen! If you're not saying amen in your heart right now, then you probably haven't got the point of this message. Okay, you probably haven't got the point of Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 4. Because what it ought to be doing, we ought to be rejoicing with the angels and rejoicing with the, 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 the 420 elders and the four beasts, and we ought to be saying with the four beasts, Amen! What a day! What a glory! What a Savior! What a God. Revelation chapter 5 verse 14 goes on to say, And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. The ancient Greek word worshipped is literally to prostrate, to lay before another in complete submission. And as this 
wonderful scene of Revelation 4 and 5 unfold before the eyes of these uh, elders, these 420 elders, which represents the church, as it unfolds before our very eyes. And this cacophony of sound is being sung out from the throne. As the angels sing, holy, 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 and the saints sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. And then as the four beasts cried, Amen, the saints of the ages fall prostrate before the Savior. They fall to their knees and they lay themselves before the Lord as an expression of their total submission and worship of the Lamb. And that's where we should be every day, beloved. We ought to be prostrate before the Lord in worship of him. We ought to bow the knee and worship the Lord, surrender to his service, for he is worthy. They worship for God's great eternal plan would now be fulfilled. Creation would finally be set free from the bondage of sin and death. With the unfolding of the book of Revelation, we see the final chapters of God's work of redemption leading up to ultimately the eternal state, to the new Jerusalem, to the new heaven and the new earth, to the marriage supper of the Lamb, to the glorious victory celebrated around the throne. We should bow the knee that he is worthy. And we're going to see in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 following, we're going to see the unfolding of God's plan for mankind. Once you and I have been raptured, we're going to see the events unfold before our eyes of what God has planned leading up to his final works of redemption, bringing Israel to their knees who cry out to their God for salvation. But first, the scroll must be opened. That hasn't happened yet, folks. As we look around the world, we've got to wonder when that first scroll will be opened. We've got to wonder when the tribulation will start. We've got to wonder when the rapture of the church will happen, and it could be today. But one thing's for sure, it is coming like a freight train down a track and nothing can stop it. And one day this scroll will be opened and God's final chapters of his work of redemption will unfold and you and I, beloved, will be in glory around the throne, worshipping the Lamb. One day the Lamb will break the seals. He'll put in motion the events that will eventually lead to his coming and establishment of his kingdom. But until that day, beloved, let's lift our hearts up in praise to the Lamb that was slain. And as we consider this heavenly scene, let's you and I daily worship the Lamb that truly 
worthy is the lamb that was slain. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you, Father, for this wonderful glimpse into glory. These two great chapters in Revelation, we thank you so much, Father, for the imagery that John was able to write that we might get a glimpse of what it's going to be like once we're raptured. We'll see the Lamb standing in the midst of the throne of God in all of his glory, bearing the marks of his sacrifice. And we'll be able to join the heavenly chorus and sing, Worthy is the Lamb. But until that day, Lord, help us to live in the knowledge that the Lamb is indeed worthy even now of our praise even now of our worship, and even now of our service, that we might honor him and bring glory to him as we bow and worship him daily. Commend your word to our hearts, we pray. Bless us by it, we pray. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.